Section 4 of Wayside and Woodland Trees, A Pocket Guide to the British Silva by Edward Stepp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Native Trees and Shrubs, Part 4 The Willows, Salix There is not in the whole of the British flora another genus of plants that presents such difficulties of identification as the genus Salix. Even so hardened a botanist as Sir J. D. Hooker, in reviewing the tangle of species, varieties, natural and cultivated, and hybrids, is so far stirred from his ordinary composure that he stigmatizes it as a troublesome genus. When Sir Joseph chose that mild adjective, he was at Kew, surrounded by the national herbaria, and with nicely labeled living plants at hand for comparison. What then can the rambling nature-lover hope to do with the willows when he comes across one at a time, without much chance of comparing? He must be content to follow the lumpers, who group a number of these uncertain forms under the name of a species to which they have evident relationship. When he has mastered the distinctions between these aggregate species, it will be early enough to attempt the segregation of the forms and varieties under each. In their natural condition, willows are graceful and picturesque, but a large number of the examples met with in our rambles have been so altered for commercial reasons as to be more grotesque than beautiful. It is not the timberman who is responsible this time for a pollard willow, though it produces a shock head of long, tender shoots, suitable for basket rods, lets in moisture at the top of the bowl, and the wood is more or less decayed and worthless. Only four of our native willows can be regarded as timber trees. These are the white willow, the crack willow, the bedford willow, and the sallow. Like the poplars, their growth is very rapid and their wood is consequently light, but it has the advantage of poplar wood in being tougher, and therefore serving for purposes where poplar is of no value. In the present day the growers of straight bold willows find their best market among the makers of cricket bats. A good deal of it is also cut into thin strips for plating into chip hats and hand baskets. The osier is grown in extensive riverside beds for the production of long, pliant shoots for the basket weavers, though many of the so-called osier rods are really stool shoots from willows that have been pollarded, or whose leading shoot has never been allowed to grow. On those parts of our coast where the crab and lobster fishery is pursued, a regular supply of such shoots for weaving into pots and hollies is a necessity, and a withy bed will usually be found on some valley stream near, or on a damp terrace halfway up the cliffs. The bark of the tree willows has long been known to be rich in an alkaloid called salicine, which has tonic and astringent properties, and has often been used instead of quinine though it is not nearly so powerful as the Peruvian drug. The bark is also used for tanning. The association of the willow with sadness is very old, but there does not appear to be any satisfactory reason for it. Certainly to contemplate a naturally grown willow that grows on the edge of a limpid stream, in which its graceful shoots and slender leaves are reflected, does not suggest sad thoughts to the average healthy mind. The association is chiefly with maidens forsaken by their false lovers, as indicated by Shakespeare when he makes Desdemona say, My mother had a maid called Barbara. She was in love, and he she loved proved mad. 
and did forsake her she had a song of willow an old thing twas but it expressed her fortune and she died singing it the crack willow or withy salix fragilis is one of the two most considerable of our tree willows in good soil it will in twenty years attain nearly its full height which is eighty or ninety feet its bole sometimes has a girth of twenty feet its smooth polished shoots afford the best ready means of distinguishing it for instead of their base pointing to the centre of the trunk as in other trees they grow obliquely so that the shoots frequently cross each other they are both tough and pliant but if struck at the base they readily break off this character explains the names crack willow and fragilis the leaves are lance-shaped three to six inches long smooth with glandular teeth pale or glaucous on the underside and with half heart-shaped stipules which however are soon cast off as we have already indicated under the head of poplars the male and female catkins of the willows are borne by different trees in the case of the crack willow the male catkins are an inch or two long proportionately stout each flower bearing two stamens occasionally three four or five the female catkin is more slender the flowers each containing a smooth ovary ending in a short style that divides into two curved stigmas the catkins appear in april or may although like most of the willows this species is fond of cold wet soil in low situations it is not restricted to the plains in northumberland it is found at thirteen hundred feet above the sea its northward range extends as far as rosshire but it is a doubtful native in both scotland and ireland the bedford willow s russelliana is believed to be a hybrid between s fragilis and s alba it grows to a height of fifty feet with a girth of twelve feet the leaves are more slender than those of s fragilis taper to a point at each end and are very smooth on both sides it occurs in swampy woods the white willow salix alba is so called from the appearance of the leaves as the light is reflected from their silky surfaces which are alike above and below it is a tree from sixty to eighty feet high with a girth of twenty feet covered with thick and deeply fissured bark the leaves are from two to four inches long of a narrow elliptical shape in the typical form the twigs are olive colored but in the variety vitalina known as the golden willow these are yellow or reddish in the variety cerulea the old leaves become quite smooth above but retain the glaucous appearance of the underside the white willow is found as far north as sunderlandshire but although it is believed to be an indigenous species most of the modern specimens appear to have been planted it affords good timber and the bark is almost equal to that of oak for tanning a great number of the old willows met with in our rambles are partially decayed a condition frequently the result of lopping large branches for the wound never heals and decay setting in at that point extends down the bowl upon such decaying specimens one may often find one of the most handsome of our native beetles the musk beetle with long slender body and long antennae all colored in dark golden green and diffusing the aroma of a rose the almond-leaved or french willow salix triandra 
is a small tree about twenty feet high distinguished by its bark being thrown off in flakes its slender lance-shaped leaves are smooth green above and glaucous beneath two to four inches long and with half heart shaped stipules the male flowers offer another distinguishing mark in their stamens being three in number its habits are the banks of rivers and streams and in osier beds it is extensively grown on account of the long straight shoots produced from the stump when the tree is cut down which are of great use in wicker work the bay-leaved willow salix pentandra is met with either as a small upright tree about twenty feet high or as a shrub eight feet high its oval or elliptical leaves are rich green smooth and sticky on the upper surface and give out a pleasant fragrance like those of the bay tree they vary from an inch to four inches long and they may or may not bear stipules but if these are present they will be egg-shaped or oblong the stamens are normally five in each flower but they vary up to twelve this is reputed to be all of our willows the latest to flower a line drawn through york worcester and north wales will give roughly its southward range as a native species south of that line it has been planted north of it to the scottish border it is a native it has been found growing at a height of thirteen hundred feet in northumberland the sallow salix capria is the only other species that can properly be considered as a tree as it attains to a height of thirty feet though fifteen to twenty feet is a more common measurement lance shaped and from two to four inches in length in the typical form which occurs chiefly in woods dry pastures and hedgerows they are broad smooth and dull green above covered with soft white down beneath the stipules half kidney shaped this is the earliest of all our willows to flower and the gold male and silver female catkins are put out before the leaves in the country within a few miles of the larger cities this can hardly be a desirable species to plant for on the sunday before easter thousands who at no other period exhibit any strong religious tendency journey out to pick some palm as they designate the sallow bloom and the rough pruning the sallows then get must in many cases be disastrous he who imagines that insect life is suspended until spring is on the verge of summer should visit the woods when the sallow is in bloom he will be astonished at the swarms of bees and moths that are collecting the abundant pollen or sipping the nectar provided for them before the bright catkins can be seen the locality of the tree may be known by the loud hum produced by hundreds of pairs of wings this all but invariable rule among the willows as among oaks beech birch hazel and pines is to depend upon the wind for the transfer of pollen from one tree to the stigmas of another of the same species but in the sallow we find a breaking away from what was doubtless the primitive arrangement in all flowering plants by the bribing with honey of more reliable and less wasteful winged carriers the gray sallow salix cinerea is really a subspecies of s capria it has a liking for moister places than the type or perhaps it would be more accurate to say that its growth in moister situations has brought about the differences by which it is separated from the parent form these points are briefly the buds and twigs are downy the leaves smaller and proportionately narrower the upper surface downy gray-green beneath the anthers of the male pale yellow 
the capsule of the female smaller the eared sallow s aurita is probably also only another form of s capria distinguished by its small bush-like proportions two to four feet high long branches and red twigs its small wrinkled leaves which are usually less than two inches long are of an almost oblong shape downy beneath and with the large ear-shaped stipules its likeness is much closer to s cinerea than to the type it is fond of damp copses and moist places on heaths where it may be found at considerable elevations in the highlands it ascends to two thousand feet there are willows of dwarf habit some with long straggling branches and more or less prostrate stems that grow upon heaths each has a name under which it has at some time or other been ranked as a distinct species just as the forms of bramble and rose have been the differences between them are minute and of little interest save to the advanced scientific botanist who with his dried specimens spread before him often detects subtle distinctions not apparent to the outdoor student of the living plant for the purposes of those for whom this volume is attended they may be regarded as one dwarf silky willow salix repens it is a low bush from six to twelve inches high the stem lying along the ground some of the branches straggle in the same fashion but those which bear the flowers are more or less erect the leaf buds and the young leaves are silky a condition that usually endures on the lower surface and in some forms on the upper also they are broadly or narrowly lance shaped varying in the different forms alluded to above in size they range from a half to one and a half inches in length and may have lance shaped stipules or none at all the scales of the catkins are yellowish green or purple with dark tips after they have shed their pollen the anthers turn black one form or other of this species will be found in all parts of the british islands where there are heaths or commons in the highlands it occurs as high as two thousand five hundred feet another group of small willows that form bushes rarely a small tree have been united under two species the dark-leaved willow salix nigricans and the tea-leaved willow salix filicifolia none of them occur south of yorkshire and the chief distinction between the two species consists in the leaves of s nigrican turning black when being dried for the herbarium while those of s filicifolia do not the osier salix viminalis many of the foregoing willows when cut down low and induced to send out long slender shoots are known as osiers but only two species are botanically regarded as osiers this and the purple osier s purpurea the present species may remain as a shrub or grow into a small tree thirty feet high with long straight branches which are silky when young but afterwards become polished the leaves vary in length from four to ten inches and are slenderly lance shaped tapering to a point in front and narrowing into the foot stalk behind they have waved margins without teeth and the upper surface netted with veins the under surface silvery and silky stipules narrow lance shaped the osier may be seen in osier beds and wet places generally throughout the country as far north as elgin in argyle there are several varieties and hybrids the purple osier salix purpurea 
in all the other willows mentioned the stamens whatever their number all had the filaments distinct from each other in this species alone the filaments of the two stamens are more or less united the purple osier gets its name from the red or purple bark which clothes the thin but tough twigs it is a shrub and grows from five to ten feet high the leaves which are rather thin in texture are from three to six inches long of slender lance shape with toothed edges smooth and glaucous on both sides but especially beneath somewhat hairy when young they are almost opposite on the twigs and when dried for the herbarium turn black there are several varieties of this shrub which were formerly honored with specific rank there remains a group of several small species of very local occurrence with which we can do little more here beyond naming them the woolly willow salix lanata is a small shrub two or three feet high with twisted branches woolly twigs and hairy black buds the broad egg-shaped or oblong leathery leaves are also woolly and two or three inches long there are half heart-shaped stipules at the base of the very short leaf stalk it is an alpine plant and is found about the mountain rills of perth forfar inverness and sutherland at elevations between two thousand and two thousand five hundred feet conspicuous in spring for its rich golden catkins sadler's willow s sadleri of which only two or three specimens have been found in glen calliter 2500 feet is probably a form of this species the lapland willow salix laponum is of a similar proportion to the last named sometimes erect sometimes trailing its leaves are more elliptic in shape covered above with silky hairs and below with cottony filaments in lanata the raised veins form a network pattern in laponum they are straight the stipules at the base of the long foot stalk are similar or altogether wanting like the preceding species it is restricted to scotch alpine rocks at elevations between two thousand and two thousand seven hundred feet the wortle leaved willow salix myrcinites is a small wiry creeping or half erect shrub six inches to a foot high with toothed dark glossy leaves an inch or less in length whose net veining shows on both sides it is restricted to the alpine parts of mid scotland from one thousand to two thousand seven hundred feet the small tree willow salix arboscula is a small shrub whose stem creeps along the ground and roots as it goes sending up more or less erect branches a foot or two high the downy twigs are first yellow then reddish brown the small leaves vary from egg-shaped to lance-shaped and are shiny above and glaucous beneath toothed in the highlands of aberdeen argyle dumfries forfar and perth between one thousand and two thousand four hundred feet the least willow salix herbacea is not so restricted in its range for it is found in all parts of the united kingdom where there are heights sufficiently alpine two thousand to four thousand three hundred feet for its tastes it is only an inch or two high and has consequently the distinction of being the smallest british shrub it is not so herbaceous as it seems or as its name implies for its shrubby stem and branches creep along underground sending up only short scantily leaved twigs the curled roundish leaves do not exceed half an inch in length they are net veined toothed and shining the catkins appear after the leaves 
The net-leaved willow, Salix reticulata, is another of the Scotch alpines. It is similar in habit to the last named but larger, its buried branches sending up twigs a foot long. The roundish oblong leathery leaves are not toothed, they are smooth above and glaucous beneath, strongly net-veined on either side. The purplish or yellow catkins do not develop till after the leaves. It is restricted to the mountains of Aberdeen, Forfar, Inverness, Perth, and Sutherland. The weeping willow, Salix babylonica, so conspicuous an ornament of riverside lawns, is an introduced species, whose slender branches hang downwards. It has large, lance-shaped, finely toothed leaves, smooth above and glaucous beneath. Further description of so well-known a tree is unnecessary. It attains a height of forty to fifty feet. The name Babylonica was bestowed in the belief that its headquarters were on the banks of the Euphrates. It is now known to be a native of Japan and other parts of Asia. The name Willow is the Anglo-Saxon Wellig, indicating pliancy, willingness. Our Native Conifers the British flora is singularly poor in coniferous plants, the Scots pine, the yew, and the juniper being our only native species, and even of these some authorities will have it that the yew is not truly a conifer at all. They place it in a separate order, taxaceae. For our present purpose, however, although the yew does not produce cones, it will be convenient to keep it in its old position. The principal feature distinguishing all conifers and their allies, gymnosperms, from other flowering plants, angiosperms, is briefly this. Angiosperms have their incipient seeds, ovules, enclosed in a carpel, through which a shoot from the pollen grain has to penetrate in order to reach and fertilize the ovule. In gymnosperms the carpel takes the form of a leaf or bract, upon which the naked ovule lies open to actual contact with the pollen grain. After fertilization, the carpal enlarges to protect the seed and becomes fleshy or woody, in the latter case a group of carpels forming the well-known cones of pine or fir. In some of the groups, as the yew, for example, the male or pollen-producing flowers are borne by a separate tree from that which bears the female or cone-producing flowers. In the pines, both sexes are found on the same tree, but throughout the order the pollen is carried by the wind. All the species are trees or shrubs. They are among the most valuable of timber trees, and in addition yield a number of useful substances, such as pitch, tar, turpentine, etc. The leaves are always rigid, extremely narrow, and long in proportion, usually of the form that botanists term linear, with the two sides parallel. In the yew, these leaves spread out in two rows from opposite sides of the twigs. In the pines, they are in clusters of two, three, or five, seeming to be bound together at the base by a wisp of thin skin. The number of leaves in each bundle is often a help in distinguishing species. The yew, Taxus baccata, lacks the graceful proportions of most of our trees, but it has for compensation a most obvious air of strength and endurance. Who doubts, as he gazes at some somber yew in the old churchyard, the story of the local antiquarium who tells him the tree has so stood for two thousand years? He may perhaps mildly suggest that neither the tree nor the churchyard was in existence so far back, 
but even then the antiquarian will probably have the last word by suggesting that the grove of yews of which this formed part was the church of the past thousands see in cathedral aisles the reproduction in stone of the pine forest or the beech wood standing before an ancient yew they may see whence came the idea for those clustered columns they actually exist in the bowl of the yew which presents the appearance not of a single trunk but of several trunks that have coalesced this condition is due to the yew continually pushing out new shoots from the lower parts of its bowl which take an upright direction and coalesce with the old wood although the yew is a large tree it is by no means a tall tree the height of full-grown yews in this country ranging between fifteen and fifty feet though they are said to attain a greater length in india the bowl of the yew is short but massive covered with a thin red bark that flakes off in patches much after the manner of plain bark large specimens have a girth of from twenty-five to fifty feet or even more such a circumference represents the growth of many centuries for the annual growth rings are very thin it is this very slow growth that produces the hard compact and elastic wood that was so highly esteemed in the days of the longbow not only is the timber elastic and strong but it is exceedingly durable so that it is said a post of yew will outlast a post of iron its branches start from the trunk at only a few feet from the ground and taking an almost horizontal direction throw out a great number of leafy twigs which provide a dense and extensive shade these leaves are leathery in texture curved somewhat after the manner of a reaping hook shiny and dark above pale and unpolished below we have already mentioned that the yew is a diceous tree that is one whose male and female blossoms are born on separate trees but the statement requires qualification to this extent that occasionally a tree will be found bearing a branch or branches whose flowers are of the opposite sex to those covering the greater part of the tree the male catkin is almost round a quarter of an inch across and contains about half a dozen yellow anthers the base surrounded by dry overlapping scales they may be found during february and march in profusion on the underside of the boughs the female flower is much smaller and consists of a fleshy disc with a few scales at its base and on this stands a single seed egg after fertilization of the seed egg the disc develops into a red wax-like cup around the enlarging seed with its olive green coat the flesh of this cup is full of sweet mucilage which makes the fruit acceptable to children but the flavor is rather too mawkish to suit older tastes yew berries are not poisonous as sometimes supposed neither is the contained kernel which has a pleasant nutty flavor much has been said and written as to the toxic property of yew leaves and it appears that though cattle and goats may browse upon them with impunity horses and human beings pay the penalty of death for such indulgent the word toxic by the way owes its significance to the yew the tree was named taxus in latin from the greek toxin a bow because of the ancient repute of its wood for making that instrument the tree was held to be poisonous and so its name in the form of toxicum came to designate all poisons there are some lines in memoriam which many readers of tennyson have found as obscure as the shade of the yew where they were conceived the poet is addressing a venerable churchyard yew in these words old warder of these buried bones and answering now my random stroke with fruitful cloud and living smoke 
dark you that graspest at the stones and dippest toward the dreamless dead to thee too comes the golden hour when flower is feeling after flower to any readers who have found a difficulty in understanding these lines we would say visit the yew groves in february or march when the male branches are thickly covered with their yellow flowers and strike a branch with your stick in response to the random stroke the pollen will fly off in a fruitful cloud or living smoke some of it to be caught by the minute females blossoms this is the yew tree's golden hour when flower is feeling after flower in the pre-gunpowder era so important was it to have a sufficient supply of suitable wood for the making of the dreaded english longbow that the culture of the yew was made the subject of a number of royal ordinances which of course were allowed to drop out of observance when the bow was displaced by the firearm and now when men plant yews they are mostly the ornamental varieties such as the irish or florence court yew which originated as a wild sport on the mountains of fermanagh about a hundred and forty years ago evelyn it is true revived the interest in the yew as an ornamental tree and it is with regret we add that at his suggestion it was first put to the base use called topiary work which had hitherto been restricted to box and juniper Evelyn showed how much more closely and continuously the yew could be clipped without affecting its vitality, and the fashion he thus set, and regarded as a merit, was very generally followed during the next century. Many of the atrocities of those days are still with us, but only as survivals, and we can so often agree with Evelyn that we may forgive him for having led our ancestors astray in this matter. Evelyn was by no means blind to the good points of the tree in its natural condition, as witness this quotation which is as true to-day as when it was written he that in winter should behold some of our highest hills in surrey clad with whole woods of these two last sorts of trees box and yew for diverse miles in circuit as in those delicious groves of them belonging to the honourable my noble friend the late sir adam brown of beckworth castle from box hill might without the least violence to his imagination easily fancy himself transported into some new or enchanted country for if in any spot in england tis here eternal spring and summer all the year along the chalk range of which the celebrated box hill forms part will be found many fine examples of the yew as at chirkley court near leatherhead where there is an actual yew forest there was a monstrous yew at Braybourne in kent in evelyn's time for he tells us he measured it and found its girth to be only one inch short of fifty-nine feet there are numerous giants of the species still living in quiet country churchyards where they have probably served as tradition states of those at fountains abbey as a shelter for the builders of the ancient church during its erection it is reputed to be the longest lived of all trees and it is to be hoped that no hindrance will be put in the way of these connections of the present with the far past living to their full natural limit whatever it may be it is naturally a tree of the uplands and lower hills and shows a distinct preference for soils that contain plenty of lime the irish yew var fastigata to which passing reference was made differs from the type in having all its branches growing erectly after the manner of a lombardy poplar and in the leaves being scattered promiscuously over the branchlets instead of being two regular rows 
It attains a height of 20 to 25 feet. End of section 4.